The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. With regard to the doctrine of salvation, Primitive Baptists believe a very particular and precise doctrine. And it's so important to us that we don't feel at liberty to enter into the communion service with those that do not believe this doctrine. We believe when someone is baptized that they're professing their faith in Christ and by that they're saying that they believe that Jesus saved them. And so when we come together in communion we share that common belief that salvation is by God's grace in and through the redemptive work of Christ. Now, this separates us from many in what would be referred to as the Christian community. And it's not that we want to be separate from a lot of other people, but we do want to be right. Amen. We don't want to be right in the sense that we're argumentative right. or prideful about what we believe. But we recognize that Jesus said in John chapter 4, about verse 24, that God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And he even says the Father seeketh such to worship him that would worship him in spirit and in truth. So God is looking for people who would embrace the truth and worship him based on that particular doctrine. Amen. So it's not that we want to be exclusive but we want to worship God in truth. And that being the case, we should value what we have in terms of the truth. Amen. We should consider it to be precious. Now, there are a lot of people in the Christian community that aren't particular or precise about what they believe. They believe it's uh, acceptable or, or it is acceptable in their mind to meet together and worship among people who have different beliefs. Even as far back as the late 80s, I read a brochure from a particular denominational church and the brochure actually said, we welcome a variety of beliefs to our congregation." That's not our mindset, is it? Now, we welcome a variety of people, and they may come with a variety of beliefs, but we don't incorporate a variety of beliefs in our congregation as a body of baptized believers. But I want you to think about this matter logically and how that the nature of what we believe regarding salvation necessarily separates us from a lot of people. 
Now, in what would be referred to as the Christian community, and I use that term lightly because a Christian is someone that follows the Lord in truth, but I hope you understand the sense in which I'm using it as the religious world would use it. You know, there are people out in the religious world that believe that your eternal salvation is based on works. Some would say that when the end of time comes or when you die, whichever comes first, that your good works are going to be measured against your evil works. And if your good works outweigh your evil works, then you will be saved and go to heaven. Well, all of you immediately recognize that we must separate ourselves from those that embrace that doctrine. Yes, amen. And then there are those that would say, well, we don't believe it's a matter of your good outweighing your bad, but we believe that you must be baptized in water. Well, that separates us from some more people. And then there are those that would say, well, we don't believe it's based on your good works outweighing your evil. And we don't believe that water baptism is required, but we do believe that you have a decision to make. You must consciously choose to receive Christ and accept him as your savior. That separates us from some more people. Now we're getting down to a very small group now in terms of doctrinal beliefs. But there's still some others that we separate from. There are those that would say, well, we don't believe it's by your good works outweighing your bad. We don't believe it's by baptism. We don't believe it's by accepting Christ. But we do believe that the way God's children are born again is that God uses the preaching as a means or an instrument by which the Spirit quickens God's people. And they would embrace the doctrine of election. That separates them from a lot of other people. And we hold that in common with them that God has an elect people, but we do not believe that preaching is an instrument that gives eternal life or quickens God's children. That's right. Amen. This is really narrowing it down, isn't it? It is. Now there's one more I can think of. And I was visiting with a man the other day that believe this doctrine and I never could get him to see that we didn't believe exactly the same thing but there are those that would say we don't believe salvation is by your good works outweighing your bad we don't believe that it's based on baptism we don't believe it's based on accepting Christ we don't believe in gospel regeneration which is the label that we would place on the doctrine I just described but we believe that all of God's elect will hear the gospel and or obey the gospel. We don't believe that preaching is what quickens you. We don't believe that. We believe that's a direct work of the Spirit like we as primitive Baptists believe. 
but we do believe that all of God's elect will hear the gospel. Some would say, most would say, hear and believe the gospel. But see, we don't even believe that, do we? So we're a very small group. But I want to present to you tonight a lesson that will show you that it's so important that we make these distinctions. Amen. So I want to entitle this message tonight, uh, Spiritual Life and Spiritual Light. Now most of God's people don't really distinguish those two. But the scripture does. Light is only perceived by those who have life. We understand that in nature. You know, if someone is laying on the ground and they appear to be dead and you shine a flat, if you pull their eyelid back and shine a flashlight and there's no reaction of the eye, no movement, then that's a good indication there's no life there because it's unaffected by light. The same is true spiritually speaking. Light is only perceived by those that have life. It only is beneficial to those that have life. So let's first establish, and we're going to read through these scriptures uh, rapidly because these are going to be scriptures you're very familiar with. But I want to establish that spiritual life is separate and apart from spiritual light. Now let's begin in Genesis chapter 1. I'm just going to go to several scriptures without commenting on them, but I think you'll already clearly understand what's being taught in these verses. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Verse 31, And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. God created man in his own image and he looked at his creation and behold, it was very good. God did not create man a sinner. He created him good, yea, very good. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden... Thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Chapter 3, verse 6. 
And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. God said in the day you do that, you die. Adam and Eve did not physically die that day, but death set in. The curse and the disease of sin and its effects upon their body and their mind was now part of who they are. Then you look forward thousands of years. And Paul said in Romans 5.12, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world. That's what we just read about. By one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. God made man in his own image. He beheld man and said, he is very good. God's creation was perfect. He gave man one law, told him when he violates that law in that day, he would die. Thousands of years later, Paul refers back to that and says, by that man's disobedience, sin entered the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. Now, not only was man cursed with physical death, But obviously, when you read Romans chapter 3, you realize that he's not doing much in terms of reflecting the image of God. And he's certainly not in a state where he could be described as being very good. When the Lord created him, he said he was very good. But in Romans chapter 3, notice verses 10 through 12. It is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now those that have studied the matter out would say that this was roughly... 4,000 years after the creation. That's not so important, but just to give you a a concept of the space of time we're talking about. Thousands of years after God made man in his own image and said he was very good, thousands of years later, the Apostle Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says there is none good... No, not one. And verse 18 says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Things have changed, haven't they? As a result of sin. Man has the disease of death. 
And obviously he's been separated from God spiritually as well. And this separation, did you know that's what the word death means is a separation. Like when we have communion, the bread and wine are separate because when you, the Bible says the life of the flesh being the bread is the blood thereof being the wine. Blood separated from the body is death. Long before doctors figured it out, God had said the life of the flesh is the blood thereof. You know, there was a time in the early history of this country when one of the medical treatments that they used was to drain blood from the body. They were verily draining the life from the body. But the Lord had already told us the life of the flesh is the blood thereof. Now, notice what the ultimate consequence of this was as far as spiritual separation is concerned. I don't have to convince anybody here that man dies because man's dying every day. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Here's the spiritual condition. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Now here's natural man with natural life. He's in a dying body, but he's not dead yet. But he's separated from God. Paul described him as one that doesn't seek after God. He describes him as one that has no righteousness. He says there's none good, no, not one. He says there's no fear of God before his eyes. And this is ultimately his uh, interaction with God, which is no interaction. Right, amen. The natural man, this living, breathing, physical man does not receive the things, anything regarding the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. Whenever you use that word can, that means ability, doesn't it? And if it says neither can he know them, that means he does not have the ability to know them. And finally, in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Now here's where we're at. As a result of man's sin, which separated him from God, Paul says to him, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. Now, what am I going to do with that person? How are we going to get him saved? Is his good works going to outweigh his bad? No, because preaching to him is foolishness. Is he going to be baptized? Why would he? Preaching is foolishness. 
Is he going to accept Christ? Preaching is foolishness. Is he going to be regenerated by the gospel? No, preaching is foolishness. Is he going to hear the gospel and respond to it in any way? No, preaching is foolishness. If it's not foolishness unto him, he's already saved. It says, but unto us which are saved, and if you have a Bible other than the King James, it'll say unto us which are being saved. But the King James says unto us which are saved, it, that is preaching, is the power, the force of God. Preaching is a force on those that are saved and those that are not saved, which are described here as is, is, is a, a state of perishing, to them it is foolishness. So we've went all the way back to the Garden of Eden and explained what the Bible says about the condition of man if left to himself, if God does not save him, he'll never be saved. He won't do anything and he can't do anything. And as we look at a few verses now that explains how he gets spiritual life, those verses will at the same time teach us that it's impossible for him to do anything to get spiritual life. So look first of all at John chapter 5, verse 25. And these are the words of Jesus. Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is. Now Jesus said this about 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, he said, here's what's going to happen in the future. And here's what's happening right now as I stand here and speak these words. The hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. And they that hear shall live. We know that's not talking about the physical resurrection. Because in verse 28, he says, marvel not, the hour is coming. Not and now is, but the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. So here in verse 25, he's not talking about the physical resurrection. He's talking about a man coming to possess spiritual life. So he says the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice. That's important. The voice. See, I can read you the words of Jesus but you're hearing the voice of Buddy Abernathy. Right. Jesus says the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear will be given the opportunity to live. Is that what it says? They that hear shall live. Not probably will, not might live, not most of the time will live. They that hear the voice shall live. Amen. And you're all familiar with Ephesians 2.1. Teaching the exact same lesson. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. 
put that on the bulletin board and diagram that sentence and you'll you don't even have to diagram it just do it in your head that you are passive you were acted upon you had no life before you were quickened you were dead so if you were dead you couldn't operate in the spiritual realm but some outside force, and we know that's the voice of the Son of God, we know that's the Spirit of God, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And then look at 1 John 5, 12. This is about as simple as you can make it. 1 John 5, 12. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You have the Son and you have life, or you don't have the Son and you don't have life, and there's only one way that you get the Son, and that is by Him speaking to you with His life-giving voice. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if you're in Christ, you're a new creature. When something's created, there's something made that wasn't previously there. And you can't create anything yourself. Amen. We don't believe in spiritual evolution. Amen. We don't believe that every man has a tiny, tiny spark of life. And if we'll work with him enough and fan it enough... It'll burst forth into a flame. No, we believe man is void of life. The fire is completely out. There's nothing there to, to uh, react to anything. And so if a man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Amen. And only God can create. Right. In Psalm 14.1, and in Psalm 53.1, you'll find the same verse, at least a portion of it, maybe the whole verse. I'll let you look that up later. But in Psalm 14.1, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. When you come across a fool, you can't do anything to help him right. as far as the salvation is concerned. Spiritual life is given by the Lord himself. Man has nothing to do with that. He can't stop it. He can't cause it to happen. He can't control it. And without going into all the doctrines of grace, you understand that God chose a multitude of people in Christ before the world began. Jesus came and saved them. And because they were predestinated into the adoption of children, he sends his spirit into their heart, crying, Abba, Father, and heaven is their home. Amen. Now everything else... Hearing the gospel, believing the gospel, joining the church, all of that may or may not happen. Anything that depends on me and anything that depends on you may or may not happen. In any area practically. For various reasons. 
And so that's why we're so emphatic that eternal salvation is of the Lord. Now, as I think about this man I was talking to the other day, it's easy for people to reach conclusions that we don't reach. It's easy for people to say, well, you must not think it's important to preach the gospel. No, we just need to understand that God gives life and the gospel gives life. People with life need life. If you don't think that, when you go home tonight, turn your headlocks off for about five seconds. People with life need light. And they can't go very far without it, without getting hurt. The same is true spiritually. People with life need light. But the light doesn't have any impact or effect on whether or not they have life. It doesn't hurt the life. It doesn't help the life as far as it, as it being vital, real life is concerned. It'll help them enjoy that life more. But as far as the life being there, it has no effect on it. No doubt multitudes of God's children who had spiritual life have lived and died never having been exposed to the true light of the gospel. I've heard various stories of the Indians that were here in our country. And when we came here, some of the stories they told that made it clear that they knew there was something other than this world, they just didn't have understanding. But it was evidence that there was life there. They just didn't have light. And they died, and they went to heaven... Because they had life. Amen. But oh, in this life, we need the light, don't we? Amen. We're going to have it perfect in heaven. In heaven, there's going to be no shortage of light. We're going to have all the light there is to be had in heaven. Amen. Here, we may have a little, we may have a lot. But notice in, uh, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, we're now going to transition and our, our time's about gone but we want to uh, transition from spiritual life to spiritual light referring to God in 2 Timothy 1 9 Paul says who have saved us and called us with an holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Notice what he says in verse 9. He saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. Well, what is it according to? It's according to his own purpose and grace given us in Christ before the world began. But he uses the gospel to shine light on it. Light doesn't change what's in the room, does it? 
When you come in here and turn the lights on, the benches don't automatically say, we got to get organized. You know, some, you know, we're afraid of the dark because of the unknown. Well, turning the lights on or turning the lights off doesn't put anything in the room, but rather when you have the lights on, you realize there's not a monster in the room. Doesn't change anything about them. It lets you know what's there. And that's what spiritual light does. It gives you insight and understanding which will affect how you feel. What if, say, your husband was off at war and some other man was killed in battle and they got the names mixed up. And they came back and reported to you that it was your husband that got killed. You know what? You would feel exactly like you would if he was actually the one that got killed. He's not dead, but you think he's dead. And just think of how liberated and happy you would be when the news came, we got the names mixed up. It didn't change a thing about it. He was alive either way, but it sure changed you. Amen. And that's what the gospel does. It changes your feelings and your outlook and your peace of mind. Amen. So, notice these three passages that speak of how the gospel gives light. And these verses are very similar to verses that talk about the new birth, but this is where Paul told Timothy when he said, rightly divide the word of truth. That means to cut straight. First of all, in 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 3, 1 Peter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice that expression. He hath begotten us again. Now the new birth is off the, the new birth, that very phrase itself, uh, being, uh, being quickened to the Spirit is often compared to birth, the new birth, being born again, being, uh, being uh, translated. But notice here, Peter said, we have been begotten again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If this is the new birth, then what it's teaching, now this is, these are the verses you need to really follow me carefully on. If this is the new birth, then what it's teaching is when Jesus rose from the dead, it was that particular act at that time when He rose from the dead that caused me to be born of the Spirit. Now we know that's not true. Peter says, He hath begotten me again. Not only... That not only uh, is it not the physical resurrection of Christ, which 
simultaneously causes the new birth. Not only is that not the case, but he says he hath begotten me again. In other words, this is the second time. The only reasonable interpretation is this. You remember after Jesus was crucified and buried, you remember what Peter said? Lo, I go a fishing. And the other said, we'll go with you. It's all over. It was great, but obviously he wasn't who we thought he was. He lost hope. But when he heard about the resurrection, his hope was renewed. He was begotten again. Not born again, spiritually. But begotten again, Born in the sense of being renewed. He said, I was begotten again unto a lively hope. I lost hope. Now, based on the knowledge of the resurrection and knowing that it's real, my hope has been restored. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15. Paul says, writing to the church at Corinth, For though ye have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Now what's he talking about here? Is he teaching that preaching is the instrument by which people are born again? No, notice what Paul says. He says, I have begotten you. Now, if Paul's the one that did the begetting, this isn't spiritual life under consideration. We've already established in the beginning that that's a work done by the Lord alone. But Paul says here, I have begotten you. He says, in Christ Jesus, that is pertaining to or with regard to or in terms of Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. The gospel is the good news, the glad tidings of what Jesus did. And Paul says, by me preaching that gospel, I have, I have begotten you in Christ Jesus. I have begun you, you might say, in the truth. I've begun you in the gospel. I'm the one that, I, you may have 10,000 instructors, but I'm the one that got you started in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. If anybody comes to you and says, well, preacher, there's no way you can get around that. Or if they come to just you as a church member and says, I don't see how you can get around that. Surely that's saying that the gospel is what God uses to give life. Well, you can point out that says, I have begotten you. Didn't say Christ has begotten you. It says, I have begotten you. And that's every preacher's desire. He wants to be the one that God uses to convert someone or enlighten someone with regard to the gospel. 
Now look at Galatians chapter 4. He's basically addressing the same issue here. Except the problem problem is they they, they were begotten in the gospel by Paul because he said clearly in chapter 1, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ and to another gospel. Here were some people that had been begotten in the gospel by Paul. And he says, now I marvel that uh, you're removed from it. You've left it. You've gotten off track. So he says in Galatians uh, chapter 4 in verse 19, listen to this. My little children of whom I travail and birth again until Christ be formed in you. This context is not the new birth. He's saying, I travail and birth again. In other words, I've already been through this experience one time with you. He likens it unto a travailing in birth. And Paul says, I've already went through this travail one time. And there were good fruit from his labor, but now they're removed from it. And he even said in verse 16 of Galatians 4, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? So he says, my little children. Sounds like he has a close relationship to them. Sounds like they are God's children. Sounds like they are people that Paul had ministered to before. And that he had a special love for them. And he says, my little children of whom I travail and birth again until Christ be formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. He's not doubting whether or not they're children of God. He's doubting that they're stable in the truth. He said elsewhere in this letter that those who are justified by the law, that is, those that think they're justified by the law, He said, you're fallen from grace. This whole letter is about understanding and believing the truth and addressing the issue of the Galatians falling away from it. So here's what I really want you to understand. We tried to establish clearly that spiritual life comes from God and they that hear His voice will live. Spiritual light comes through the gospel and we have an enemy doing all he can to interfere with it. We have an enemy who when a child of God hears the gospel in one place it says that he'll come and catch away that which was sown in the heart lest he should believe and be saved. And so there is a labor involved of preaching the gospel and beginning God's people in the truth. And then finally, look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. If you understand that spiritual life comes directly from God, 
an ordinarily, primarily spiritual light comes through the gospel, then you'll understand what's under consideration in this verse. Romans 1.16. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, if I thought the gospel was a proposition and it was a tool of persuasion for God's uh, people that he loved to do something to be born again or they really wouldn't make it to heaven, then it's something that I could potentially be ashamed of. Because it'd be people that I tried to save by using that gospel. But Paul said, I'm not ashamed of it. Because he said it is the power of God. It's a force of God, all right. But it's not the same force that gives life. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God, the force of God unto salvation. Whenever you read salvation, don't automatically think that that means saved from hell and going to heaven. Right. It's as... The application is as general as it is in your daily conversation today. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. And here, here's, here's why it's powerful. And here's the salvation under consideration. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Amen. Now that's an Old Testament statement. In the Old Testament it says the just shall live by his faith. Yeah. And what that means is those that are just, those that are positionally righteous because of the sanctifying work of God and the sanctifying work of Christ and the sanctifying work of the Spirit in the new birth. They will, the way they live, the way they function, the way they go through life is by faith. Right. What faith are we talking about? Faith with regard to the righteousness of God. Yeah. The gospel lets me in on the truth that Jesus saved me and that works a deliverance. Amen. There are multitudes of God's children that were restless because they thought their salvation was uh, something they must bring about. But when they came to realize the, the truth of it, what a deliverance it brought to them. Amen. What a salvation it brought. And now they can live by that faith. Spiritual life is from God. It's directly from God. It's bestowed upon every one of God's children. They're all recipients of that life. They don't invite it. They don't resist it. It's just like if I went and poured this glass of water on you, you can say you don't accept it all night long, but you're still wet. You can reject it and say, I don't receive it, I don't believe it, but you're still wet. That's what God does. He just goes and pours His Spirit on you whether you ask for it or not. Amen. That's what primitive Baptists believe. Right, right. That, that's the, 
the precise doctrine we believe. Salvation is by grace. We, we don't have to say, well, wait a minute, I wonder if they'll all hear the gospel. We don't have to worry about all of that. They're all going to heaven because God saved them. But we all have people in our life that we want to know about this. And remember, God's ordinary means of manifesting His Word is through preaching. So pray that God would providentially work that you might be instrumental in exposing them to the Gospel. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.